Welcome to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. Today we will hear from lead pastor Dave Carroll as he teaches a message titled, Money and My House. Let's join in now. This is kind of a landmark moment for me personally because as I was thinking back, I said, you know, I've never given a message from the Bible about money. And my anticipation is that everybody's going to say, oh, here comes the tithe talk or here comes the give to the church talk. And, and while I certainly considered that, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, no, while, while I thought about that, I, I thought, you know, you know what, this is the very first money talk in the history of our church. This is going to lay the foundation for our view of money, uh, not only corporately as a church or as a leadership team, but for you as a family, uh, a fa- you know, an entire family, your family at home, and you as a person. And so God really laid on my heart the idea of dealing with money as a priority first before we do anything else. But when you become a Christian, dealing with money is a lot like my first experiences driving a stick shift. Are there any people who just love standard, automatic, or I mean, who loves standard in the room? Oh, you have a gift that I do not have. Can I tell you the first time that I drove a stick shift? Oh, it was awful. I got in my friend's car and it was herky-jerky all the way around this parking lot and I stalled out, I'm not lying, in about five minutes time, I stalled out about 10 times. Fast forward uh, later on in life, so I left it alone. I didn't even try to drive a stick. I ended up uh, in a point in my life, some of you have heard the story before, where I was in the food stamp line just trying to hopefully get some uh, food for my family uh, with among the homeless people in New Orleans. And this job popped up, and it was a delivery job uh, delivering big industrial marine supply, like anchors that weigh 5,000 pounds. And lo and behold, the last question of the job interview, and I needed this job desperately. This is like seven years ago. And uh, he goes, I got one last question. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was going really good. He goes, can you drive a stick? And I went, I'll, I'll learn. I promise. Well, a brand new truck, right? About two months into it, I burned the clutch out, all right? So I just want to let you know that. So if you have a stick, don't let me drive your car. But money is a lot the same way as a Christian because we think, wow, I I need to go to work. I want to earn it. Sure, I want to kind of better my life because we're American. We're taught that's the goal of life is, hey, we need to improve the standard. But all the while, we're saying, what do I do? It's like this big tension. I should try to make it. Do I try to give it away? How much do I give away? How much do I keep? And all these are big questions, but today you can begin the journey of understanding God's view of money by asking yourself this one question, is money on top? If money is on top, you're headed the wrong direction. If money is not on top, you have a fighting chance to honor God with it. And so I wanted to start in kind of an odd place because this is a family series and we want to relate it into your family. And I want to start with Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 through 15. Now, it's kind of long, and this is what's happening. Joshua was the guy who actually led the nation of Israel from Egypt into the promised land, right? Into the land of Canaan. And here in Joshua 24, he's at the end of his life. This guy has seriously tore people up. He has done an awesome job. You want to talk about a guy that understood gain? He was in a nation that was living in the desert, getting food from heaven, water from wherever God would provide it, right? Right up out of the ground. And, and this guy goes from that situation, 
and conquers an entire nation, takes over cities, takes the plunder, takes the spoils. He's the leader of this brand new group of people. If you think anybody had to deal with gain and money, it was Joshua. But Joshua is about to recap as an old man all the things that had happened. And listen to what he says. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Shechem, by the way, if you're new to the Bible or have forgotten this like I had before I studied, uh, Shechem was the place that God had promised Abraham that his offspring would inherit the land of Israel. Isn't that cool? And so he says that he gathered all the tribes of Israel to the place where God had promised Abraham, you're going to have this land. And he called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river, right? On the other side of the Jordan River in old times. And they served, this is very important, what did they serve? Other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all of the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But to Jacob and his children, they had to go down to Egypt. Wow, crazy, huh? The one that God would use was the one who didn't have much initially. Also, I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt. Remember the plagues? According to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea upon them and covered them. We just studied that just last week. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. Anybody felt like they've dwelt in the wilderness a long time before in their life? Listen to this, because money has a lot to say about getting you out. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them before you. Skip over to verse 11. This is what it says. Then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. Remember how we studied the walls coming down? And how when we do things God's way, even though it's spiritual and doesn't make sense, the walls come down. He said, you went over to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Skip down to verse 13. I have given you a land for which you didn't labor, and cities which you didn't build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards, the olive groves, which you did not plant. This is important. Now, therefore... Fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And here's our last verse. Check into this. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but he makes this statement right here. But as for me and my house, what does it say? We will serve the Lord. You see, 
even way back when, Joshua knew there was a battle between putting God first and putting other gods. Now, in our day, we don't go and make, we've wised up a little bit, we don't go make little gods with our hands anymore. You know, there's no uh, guy out there with a wooden ham- with a hammer and chisel going to, on it in the wood, goes, oh, this is a beautiful creature, and they don't put it up on their, we don't put it up on our dresser anymore. If anything, it's called the TV, right? But we don't put it up on our dresser anymore and worship the, the little G gods. But in America, we've essentially come all the way to what Jesus described in the New Testament as a war of our you know, for our heart between God and between money. Really, money is the little G God that is always attacking our heart. And so maybe you have heard the priorities before. Tell me if you've heard this, uh, where you say, hey, I got to put God first, my family second, my job, and then maybe ministry or church or my hobbies or that kind of, how many of you have heard that before? Um, You know, just that general priority range. Well, that's not all bad, but I want to tell you, um, Jesus kind of upends this a little bit because whenever we think this way, we forget that the real war is between is at the very top. It's for number one, and it's between God and money. You see, flip over to Matthew chapter six. In Matthew chapter six, verse twenty-one, Jesus makes this statement. That is radical. It's going to change your your life. It's going to rock your world if you take it to heart today. Probably you've heard it before, but if you listen, it will literally change the direction of your life. And this is what he said in Matthew 6.21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, Many of the struggles that we have in this life, if you're struggling with anything, chances are it all comes back to money. The fights between husband and wife, why kids aren't getting along, why you're depressed at your job, it all comes back to money. And so we have to learn what to do with it. Uh, we, here's, here's the thing. Um, more than likely, since money is at the center We have to learn to put it in its place. So what is money? What is it? It is simply, you ready for this? You may want to write it down. It's nothing more than a GPS system to tell you what's important. That's what what Jesus said. He said money is a GPS system that tells you what's important in your life. You see, when it becomes more than that, when it becomes the end all, next thing you know it becomes God. And here we think we have the priorities right. Oh, we're going, oh, hey, I'm working on my family. I'm working on my job. I'm, I'm working on my character. Yeah, I'm serving God at church. And all the while, maybe the foundation of our life has been eroded because we thought we had God number one, but really we put money number one. And this is tough. Because, why? Because in this life, if we don't have enough money, right, we end up being Judas where we're willing to give 30 shekels for Jesus. Oh, can I get it? And if we have a bunch of money, the temptation becomes the rich young ruler, where we say, oh, what, how much can I give so that God would be happy with me, right? And we try to get into a work salvation. And then we have people who uh, need to get off of, of their derriere to do a better job of earning it to provide for their family. Some of us are trying too much to go out and get it, and next thing you know, everything in our life is falling and tearing to shreds. So 
this statement, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, is earth-shattering. Let me ask you, what is the direction of your heart right now? What does your money say it is? You know, the, the uh, Greek word there means a deposit. It comes from the term a deposit. Where are you making deposits? I'm not talking about spiritually or emotionally. I'm talking about with the green stuff, with money. If you look at your checkbook, what does it say the love of your life really is? I don't know. Well, there are two roads that determine the destination of our heart. Um, How many of you like to be competitive with your spouse? Anybody like to be competitive? Amy and I, if if you haven't been around us much, you'll come to know that we are two of the most competitive people on the planet. In fact, the closest we've come to divorce was over a game of spades uh, late at night. And I promise you, it really was. I think it was pretty rough that night and for about a week or two after. We're very competitive. And uh, we're so competitive that we're forever coming up with ways that someone could win. All right? I mean, even as simple as probably, more than likely, on the way home from church, if we pull out of the parking lot at the same time, one of us is going to hold up the number one sibling. I'm number one. And we're going to take off, okay? And we're going to try to get home first. Well, we used to do this back in Jupiter. This started way back when. And we would always, (laughs) we would always race home from church. And I loved to take this one road. And if I knew, if I could get this one road home, I would always beat her to the house. Why? Because at the very least, even if stoplights hurt me, even if I had someone slow in front of me, I knew that at the very end of the race, I would have to make a right turn into our house, and she would have to make a left. And so that means that chances are she would have to T-bone me, which I'm sure crossed her mind a couple times, to win. But there are two roads with money that will determine the trajectory of your life that will be the litmus test for what you really love, and here they are. Let's read Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Here's what Jesus says, and you're going to read this and go, where does this have to do about money? And I ask myself the same thing, but all I know is this. This is what Jesus was talking about right before he talked about money. He says, moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. This gives us road number one. It's when we use heavenly things for earthly gain. I'm trying to give you an idea of how to prioritize money. How do we put it first? How do we um, infiltrate our minds and our hearts and our children's minds and our hearts uh, with a proper priority of money? Well, it's, here's road number one. This is what we mostly do. We use heavenly things for earthly gain. Now, what am I, what am I talking about? It's when we do spiritual stuff so that God will, quote, unquote, what's the word everybody loves to use? Bless us. That's right. I just want, I want God to bless me, so I'll sit in a worship service. You know what? Uh, this concept gets carried out so far that people will sit in front of their TV, right? And they'll watch some guys say, if you'll give, then you'll be healed. And people say, oh, well, 
okay, and they think they're doing the right thing with their money, right? By saying, well, maybe if I do this heavenly thing, then I can have something here and now. But that's an extreme example. But don't we all, myself included, aren't we all guilty of this? Where we try to do things to please God, hoping that he'll give us something in return that is physical in this, in this world. And, and here's what Jesus is saying. That kind of thinking is wrong. You see, when anytime we start to draw attention to the spiritual so that we can earthly benefit, we know we've messed up. Um, flip back a page. If you have your Bible, this is really cool and really important. Um, we're in what's called the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And uh, in Matthew chapter 6, he starts with a group of scriptures called the Beatitudes. Have you all ever heard the Beatitudes before? Well, Um, Here's what happens in the Beatitudes. Jesus starts out in verse 3, right, after he goes up on the mountaintop. He has disciples come to him, and he he starts out with this really important word that's near and dear to all of our hearts when we think about money. He says, blessed are you. And could you imagine the disciples who at this point have given up their jobs, who are probably thinking, I wonder how Jesus, I wonder what we're getting for following Jesus like this. And here Jesus comes up with the words, blessed are you. And I can imagine them going, yeah, yeah, Jesus, go on, go on, go on. When you are poor, whoa, whoa, hang on, wait, wait a second, Jesus, what are you doing? Blessed are you right there in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, when you are poor in spirit. And they went, that doesn't sound like, uh, we're getting rich anytime soon. Wait, that doesn't sound like you maybe even have a, have a huge interest in whether I have a lot or a little. And that's why it's not a sin to have a lot. It's not a sin to have a little. That may not be the chief interest of Jesus in your life. But skip all the way to verse 11 in Matthew chapter 5. And this is how you take the Beatitudes. And this is how we get off the road of thinking about using heavenly things for earthly gain. This is how we get off that road. We say, you know what, Amy, you could take it because I want to get there first. I want to get to the heart of God. He says this in verse 11. Blessed are you on account of me. Look at 5.11 there. Just look at it. It says, blessed are you when you are cursed for my sake. And so if you take the first three words of the Beatitudes and add them to the last three words of verse 11... This is how you understand all 11 verses. It says, blessed are you on account of me. You see, it's weird that we take money and we seek God's blessing, but here's the deal. When you became a Christian, the day that you, be, you came to Christ, that you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, God said, you are blessed automatically. Why? Because you have the promise of heaven. You have the promise of a Savior who will forgive your sins. And that is true blessing in this life. You may ask, well, Dave, how do I know that I'm using heavenly things for earthly, earthly gain? How do I know? Look at this. Check this out. Write them down to your blanks. Um, if everything I do is for me, you're on this road. If everything I do, if I'm constantly thinking, How do I get this done? You know, remember how we said where your treasure is, there your heart will be also? You want to love your wife more? Invest some money into her. Invest some money. Something that costs you. It's kind of funny that we're willing to put money in all kinds of different places except for the people that we love. 
the God we love. Um, so everything I do is for me is a statement. Here's the next thing. Pleasing God is not a priority. When you think about your money and pleasing God never crosses your mind, you are on road number one. And here's the final thing. If the purpose of you being good, if you're trying to hang in there and do the right things so that you can feel good about yourself, you're on the wrong road. Now, let me, let me talk to you about the road that I love. This is the road that got me uh, a championship over Amy several times, okay? Road number two is when we use, we just flip it around, we use earthly things for heavenly gain. Earthly things. And you're, I, I can just, I could feel the thoughts in the room going, Pastor, you're about to talk about tithing. Guess what? Everybody exhale. Turn to your per- person next to you and say, exhale. We're not, okay? That's not it. We're not. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19 through 23. We have to learn to prioritize money and take the road and take the proper steps to do it so that God gets the top and then we have a proper view of money as a GPS system, not as um, something that is uh, even on our top five list in this life. And so here's what Jesus says. He starts talking about money after he talks about fasting. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Don't do it. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moss nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he talks about the spiritual eye. He said, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your quote-unquote spiritual, I added that, spiritual eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Many of us have the idea from 1 John of what it means to walk in the light. God is light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You see what Jesus just said? He said, if we put our treasure in the right place, we experience either joy or great pain based off of this one fact. How many times, you ready for this? How many times have we aimed for the word for? God, what will you do for me? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? What will you do for me, God? When the right answer is this. God, what will you do through me? Now, very quickly, if God is going to do something through you, what does he have to send through you? He has to send resource. He has to send things. If you are a person who is a conduit rather than a cup, God can all of a sudden begin to send earthly things because he knows that there will be heavenly gain. Now, you may ask, how do I do that? And you may want to write these blanks down. Number one, how do I store up treasure in heaven instead of on earth? Number one, I use my resources with intentional stewardship. With intentional stewardship. The guiding principle is this. When we manage our money, we're telling our money what to do, which means that we do not serve our money. It is not our God, right? But it belongs to us to do with it as we see fit. Now, if we're serving God and he's on top, 
Why then, God starts sending it. We're managing it. We send it as we send it out. Um, he gives more. Do you know, I talk to one family. This family blows my mind all the time. Uh, there's one family I know from back home in Florida. Uh, they are the kind of couple that either has, I'm not lying to you, they either have $50 to their whole name, their whole bank account, has $50 in it, or they can have as much as hundreds of thousands of dollars in their bank account at one time. And I, one time I stopped and I said, why, why, why this? Why does your bank account always go up and always go down? And why do you, he's, they just say, well, we just figure that if we get it, it's God's money, and we use it for heavenly gain, and we do things that matter to people and matter to God, and, and all of a sudden, um, we use it up, but every time we've learned to stop getting worried when the dollar amount gets low because it's God's money. He's the giver of it all. He's the one who p- provides the resource. And so they said, we just will sit with $50, and they literally said this. We'll sit there and eat ramen noodles until God decides to provide it again. And lo and behold, they said, you know what? He's always provided more than enough if we'll just sit there and wait on him, which is incredible. So if we'll use our resources with intentionality and do it God's way, it's amazing how his resource flows through our lives. It is an incredible thing, and you may not totally get all that yet, but one day you may. Here's the next part. I teach my family godly stewardship. And I have a very uh, exciting announcement uh, to make about next fall. Uh, Cheryl and our groups team and everybody else, uh, we have all prayed about it and decided that in the fall for our small groups, and we'll have this building too, which will help with it, uh, we are going to launch a church-wide, everybody all-in uh, momentum campaign to take everyone through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University to show you how to do money God's way. And, and I, I've, I've talked to Dave Ramsey about that in the past when, when we went on a trip, and his heart truly is for the Lord. Um, you talk about a genuine guy. He gets real big uh, notoriety, but I will tell you his heart for Jesus is incredible, and his heart to see us use God's money is huge. And so start marking that down. We're going to uh, advertise it to the whole community, and that will be all of our small groups for the fall. And so um, here are the three areas you have to teach your family good stewardship. This is your, the husband, the wife, the kids. Everybody has to learn this. Three simple things. If you get these three things right, chances are you can honor God in this area, and then you can move on to work on your family and your job and all of this other stuff, and you get money out of that number one spot. It's three simple things. Spend, save, and give. If any one of those three is out of whack, Chances are money is creeping up to number one in your life. That's hard to hear, and it's hard for me to hear. You know why? Because my, my biggest nemesis out of the three is the middle one. Man, I can spend like with the best of them. Any, any spenders in the room, amen, right? I can give with the best of them. You know, I'll give the shirt off my back anytime. I'll give down to zero. I really don't care. That's me. But saving, oh, man. Saving is, is hard for me because I'm like, well, that's not spending or giving, right? And, and so uh, Amy helps me there. But uh, when we get these three in line, um, I even, just so you know, my boys, uh, when they were five years old, I gave them three Ziploc bags. And I said, guys, check it out. This is how we're going to roll from here on out. Every dollar you earn, 50 cents of it is going to go in the spend jar. 40 cents of it is going to go in the save jar. And 10 cents of it 
is going to go in the give jar. You may say, does pastor actually give here at church? I mean, he's the pastor. Does he give? Absolutely. You can bet. My wife and I have been tithing since before we were married. We've been tithing, and, and we're not here to talk about the tithe, but, but when it comes to giving. So we've uh, ingrained that in. And uh, I even asked Aiden on the way to the car today. I'm going, you know, I'm preaching about money, telling I need to teach my family. I better ask my kid what's really happening, right? You know, let's not, let's not be a hypocrite here. And I said, Aiden, are you still... Uh, you're still holding money back to give and to save and, and to spend? And he said, yeah, Dad, of course. He goes, now I forget to bring it sometimes to church, or I forget to put it in the, in the, save, the save baggie, uh, but I usually get around to it, and I do it. Well, if, if we'll manage and teach our family godly stewardship, you hear what happens. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. You're teaching your kids to place their treasure on the things of God. And you wonder why your kids may walk away from the Lord. I guarantee you it could be in this area of money. Here's the third thing. God and his kingdom directly benefits from the work of my life. That's really hard, but God wants the glory. You see, here's your last few blanks. Here's the truth, and this is what Jesus said in, in Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve how many masters? Two. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he, he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't do it. You see, the crazy thing about that priority list I gave you is when money gets the top, God doesn't fall to number two. God falls all the way down, as far down as he can go. But here's the cool thing. When God gets the top, money begins to step outside and provide for all of the priorities that God wants. And here is what's at stake for your family. Do you realize that what you do with money, how you talk about it, how you argue about it at home, how, how you um, plan it out, what you do will set the trajectory for your children in the area of who they will serve. Whoa. I don't, I've never met a Christian parent that didn't say, I want my kids to honor God. Every single parent I've ever heard says that. But very few realize that Jesus made the statement and he said, you want your heart to be set the right direction? Start with your money. Start with your money. You want your family to be together? Start, start with your money and take it off the top and, and start putting your treasure in heaven. Now, here's the big question today as we close. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? And, you know, as I, as I was preparing this message, I thought about this. I thought, you know, we're giving this message on money. And people are going to go, okay, I get it. That's the priority. But what's at stake? What does it really mean to get money right? And, and, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, sometimes messages, I'd like to tell you when I prepare on Monday that God just totally showers me and I go, oh, I got it. This is a home run message. This is why it's going to matter to people. But that's not always what happens. Last night in the shower, right? Anybody uh, get good ideas in the shower? Well, last night in the shower, I'm still thinking, God, I, I hear the message. I get it. I'm trying to apply it personally, but, but what's the big deal about it? Why does it matter? And, I, and all of a sudden, you know, as the soap bar hit my shoulder and the water was hot and it was just a great moment, right? You're like TMI, right? So here we go. So I'm right there and all of a sudden I go, ah, that's it, Lord. That's it. Here's the thing. All of us have a good idea who have been in, in Christ for a while. If, if, you're, if you don't know Jesus, 
you, this is what you get when, you, when you're in Jesus. We have a good idea of who we want our life to become. What is God asking me to do? You see, there are people in the room that God is stretching and asking you to go into ministry. I'm thinking through this in the shower. It's all going through my head. There are people who could be sent out as missionaries. There are people who want to impact their neighborhoods, right, and, like, start stuff. There are people who, who, are, who want to give money away, like, man, if I could just get to a place with my money, I would give it away and help. You know, there are people in Florida who want to help our church get into a building. There are people with these high, lofty goals. Anybody have some high, lofty goals? Like, you know what, I really wish I could do this. I really wish I could do it. Well, here's what's at stake. When your treasure, when your treasure is misplaced, it is single-handedly the one thing keeping you, listen to this, your money is the single-handed one thing that is keeping you from being all God intended you to be. That's what Jesus said. Don't shoot me yet. That's what Jesus said. It was right there. And I thought about this. Is he saying that I can't be all God intended unless my treasure is in the right place until it finally gets to the place where my treasure gives me a heart for God? That's what he's saying. Wow. So I have a different question that's not in your program as we close and the band can come on up. What one thing do you know God has called you to do or called you to be that you have not been? What is the one thing you know God is asking you to do but you haven't done it? But you haven't been it. But you've put it off. I've known people who have, who have known God has asked them to do a certain task, and it's been for like 20 years, 30 years, and they go, oh, I just can't do it. And they list off, and almost always the list starts with money. But today, here's the good news. Maybe some of those opportunities to be what God asked you to be has passed you by. But today can be a brand new start where you say, God, I'm no longer going to let money Rule my heart. Rule my life. It is, from now on, you are number one, and it is wherever you want it to be, God. doesn't even have to be number two. doesn't have to be number ten. could be a hundred. I don't care because, God, my heart is set on you, and I will put my treasure on you. You have a chance today to give that to the Lord. Isn't it good that, much like the video we saw earlier, that we have a chance to be different for God? We have a chance to be different than who we've been. We have a chance to pick it up and become the people that he wants us to be so that when God says, who are you serving? We say, you. You, Lord, you get my heart. You get my money. You get my, you get my priorities. God, you get my family. God, you get my job. You get my church. You get my hobbies. You get my greatest desires. Lord, you get it all because you are number one. I want to give you a shot right now with every head bowed and every eye closed to spend some time before the Lord at his cross where he shed his blood, where he put his very treasure into the will of God, into the heart of God, and he obeyed him even to the point of death, death on a cross. You get a chance to say, God, forgive me. 
God, I, I haven't been the person you've asked me to be. I haven't been living up to 100% potential. But today I start with you. You spend time with God right now. For listening to the teaching ministry of Elevation Church. You can find out more about our church or listen to other messages at elevationbuildings.com. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.